Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Overcoming Confusion, Part 1, by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, this morning I thank you that you're always speaking to us. and So Lord God, today our desire is to hear from you. And I pray this morning that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and open our ears. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me in Judges chapter 6. Today, uh, I wanted to spend two weeks in our overcoming series on overcoming confusion. And the reason is, I believe that there is a large amount of confusion, not only outside the church, but also inside the church. It's one of the greatest, I believe, tools of the enemy is to keep us confused. Uh, I often hear questions like, is it the will of God that I marry this person? Is it the will of God that I take this job? Or, 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 or many other questions like that. And sometimes we can become confused and sometimes we can end up making wrong decisions. I remember uh, the story of a young man that was uh, listening to a very successful businessman. And the very successful businessman gave his talk and at the end there was a Q&A section and the young man stuck his hands up and he goes, can you tell me what your success in business is? How did you become so successful? He said, that's easy. He says, good decisions. And he goes, oh, he goes, hang on a second. He goes, just one more question. And he goes, yes. He goes, how do you make good decisions? And he goes, well, that's easy. He goes, experience. And the young man goes, all right. And he goes, oh, I've got just one more question. He says, how do I get experience? He says, that's easy. Bad decisions. <laughs> and for many of us in the room this morning, the light just went boom on. Hello. If you haven't made any bad decisions this morning, you could be in a club on your own. And uh, uh, I was reminded of the story of John Wesley. Most of us will know the story of John Wesley, but most of us are trying to determine God's will. And John Wesley, when he was 32 years of age, just a young man, uh, comes across a lady by the name of Sophia Hopke, and he falls in love with her. And he had a kind of a problem because John Wesley was was a member of a holy club, for want of a better term. And one of the mandates was that to be a part of this club, you kind of, and a part of this group of young men, you had to remain single. That's not in the Bible, by the way. We'll get to that later. So he decides, well, I really love this woman and I don't know what I'm going to do. So he says, well, if it's God's will, he kind of throws it to the wind and he says, he gets a heap of straws and he writes three sentences on the straws. Sentence number one is marry. The second one is do not think of it again this year. And the third one is never think of this again. And he gives it to a very good friend of his. And says, now you draw the straw for me. And his friend draws the straw and it says, never think of this again. And he takes that to be God's will. And heartbroken goes on his way. As he's in his travels and on his missionary journeys, he strikes another lady by the name of, I believe, Grace Murray was her name. And this time he decides, I'm going to use a different ploy to determine God's will. So this time he writes down seven characteristics that he would desire in a wife. And it's not long before he finds there's not only enormous scriptural evidence for marriage, but he's determined that this is the path that he should take. But his brother, Charles Wesley, great hymn writer for those that know the story of the Wesleys. His brother Charles Wesley gets wind of this and runs to Grace Murray 
yells that he would be heartbroken, falls at her feet, and the whole performance puts her off, and she marries another man. Strike two for John Wesley. John Wesley would later marry a lady, a very wealthy lady, by the name of Mary Vasquez, I believe her name was. And that marriage would be an unhappy ordeal for him for 20 years until she leaves him. Strike three for John Wesley. Poor John Wesley didn't know that right back at Sophia Hopke, he may well have married her and still been inside God's will. And another instance is George Whitfield. How many people here have heard the name George Whitfield? Great man of faith, great exploits for God. Nobody would deny that. But George Whitfield had a son. And George Whitfield went and told everybody that God told him. I'm going to tell you now, they are the three most dangerous words you'll hear in church today sometimes, is God told me. They're dangerous. Depending on where they come from and how they get there, they can be the most dangerous words. George Whitfield stood up and said, God told me my son is going to be a great preacher and have an international ministry. And then he died at the age of 17, tragically. How many people know that God didn't change his mind? And later George Whitfield would say, you know what? I allowed my fatherly pride to get in the way. Is there any hope for us, friends? Is there any hope for us to know what God's will is? And I hope to try and liberate you today into God's will. Next week, please tune in for next week when we take this a little bit further. But often we can fall into confusion and we don't need to be there. Confusion can be clearly understood as an uncertainty about what is happening. A little bit like me when I'm at home. The confusion can be the state of being bewildered or unclear in one's Mind, And that states for many of us today. And so we have developed what I like to call fleeces for trying to determine God's will. And sometimes we, we try to, we have a fatalistic view of God's will. Where, you know, well, what will be will be and whatever happens will be God's will anyway. So let's just roll along with it. Sometimes we have a very negative view of God's will. A negative view looks like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do God's will because he's going to make me marry somebody I don't like, move to a country I've never heard of and preach in a jungle where nobody lives except for mosquitoes. And some people have a very mystical view of trying to find out God's will and we just float along with all these feelings and unctions that are all to do with bad pizza from the night before. God's will, if if you're writing down notes today, please take down this one. God's will is less of a roadmap and more of a compass. I love the, right back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden and God says you can't eat from one tree. We have a view of God of this kind of micromanaging, pulling strings kind of God Adam and Eve didn't go to God, hey, listen, what are we going to have for tea tonight? God says, you can have whatever you want, just don't eat that. And God's will is very much like that. It's more of a, I gave you a brain to make decisions. Uh, Which woman should I marry? Well, perhaps the one that says yes, young men. (laughs) If you can find a lady to do your laundry that says yes, marry her. If you're sitting here this morning and you're waiting for your soulmate, they don't exist. 
I married my best friend, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But if you're waiting for God to drop somebody in your lap, you could be waiting a long time. I want to take you on a journey today. A young man by the name of Gideon. As a digression, there's some Gideons sitting in our congregation, by the way, people who are pressing wheat in the background when God has called you to be a mighty man of valour. But young Gideon, as we come to verse 11, before we get there, uh, the book of Judges is the account of Israel before they had any kings. God had designed Israel to be ruled by judges, and we have a series of judges through the book. One of them happens to be Gideon. And what happens by the time we get to verse 11 is that... uh, they have abandoned the Lord. Israel have abandoned the Lord and he's allowed Midian, the, the, the nation of Midian, to oppress them. That's where we pick up the story about Gideon. And uh, God comes to Gideon. Let's hear what he has to say, starting at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah which belonged to Joash and Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. <laughs> the word of God has come to this young man. It's interesting what Gideon's reply is. Uh, Gideon's reply is, Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I reckon this morning there's a high chance I could get locked up by somebody for saying what I've got to say. But the first one is this. We are often confused and overcoming confusion equals this. Number one, we need to stop determining truth by our circumstances and view our circumstances through the lens of truth. What's Gideon done here? Gideon's like, the Lord is with us? Are you for real? Have you not seen Midian? That doesn't change the truth that God is with them. We live in a society today. Let me, let me see if I can get locked up today. We live in a society today, and I, this is not pointed at anyone in particular, but it, I've got to tell you, if you wake up in the morning and you stand in the mirror and you have male bits, you're a male. It doesn't matter what society tells you. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what cloud you happen to be under. That's called confusion. If you're standing in front of the mirror, the truth is, you're a male. The truth is, it doesn't matter what culture is telling us. It doesn't matter what society has allowed to water it down. The the truth of the matter is that marriage is defined as being between a man and a woman. That's how it's defined. It doesn't matter what the politicians say. It doesn't matter how many colours there are in the rainbow. The truth is the same. Why are people confused? I wonder when we have strayed from the truth, but... If we can for a moment, can we bring it back inside? Can we, can we bring it home a little bit closer? If, if you come to church on a Sunday and you don't get goosebumps and fuzzy wuzzies on the inside, that doesn't mean the fire's departed and the presence of God has left you. If you have a really, really bad week and if circumstances are reeling on the outside, that doesn't mean God's left you or that God hates you. 
The truth is that no matter what's happening on the outside, God loves you. That's the truth. And people may be sitting here today and say, how can I govern my life? How can I line my life up with the truth? Because you know what Pilate asked Jesus? Never gave him a chance to answer the question. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And then turned around and walked away. Well, do you want the answer or not? The truth is less of a fact and more about a person. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Hebrews says that when God wanted to speak to us, he spoke to us in divers' manners, but in these last days he has chosen to speak to us by his Son. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Overcoming confusion, number one, cease determining truth through the lens of your circumstances. I reckon I can nearly get locked up this morning. And you must view your circumstances and the world around us through the lens of truth. Consult truth to determine and attempt to understand our circumstances. The next one I really like. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds, says Gideon, that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. When God says go and when God sends, move. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., for all of his imperfections, actually was, had a lot to offer. But Martin Luther King Jr. would say that faith is taking the next step when you can't see the whole staircase. If we go back, let's go right back to the time of Abraham. God calls Abraham, says, pack up your bat and ball. I'm paraphrasing the uh, Sean English version this morning. I'm not going to speak in Greek. But the Sean English version this morning says this. Pack up your bat and ball and go. Doesn't tell him where he's going. Doesn't tell him what the journey is going to look like or undertake. Doesn't even fully reveal himself to Abraham. Says go. What does Abraham do? He starts moving. And then God reveals more. And then he starts moving. And God reveals more. Uh, Overcoming confusion number two. God blesses momentum. Get moving. The most confused person you will find is the one standing still. Uh, like what I like to call change room Christians. Let me kind of break this down for you. When I was playing AFL, I, I, I only understand things in real football terms. But when I was playing AFL, some, some people got that this morning. Thank you for the, thank you for the two of you that did. Uh, when I was playing AFL, uh, I remember the coach would come and you'd be in the change rooms and uh, he would talk about the other team, he would talk about the plan of attack, he would talk about how that's going to look like, what position each person was going to play. And then imagine with me for a moment that after all that's happened in the change rooms and we've all bumped each other and slapped each other on the bum and we run out onto the field and the, and the, and the ball is bounced. Great affection in the football terms. Well, they're slapping <laughs> Brotherly love. And the game happens and imagine that the ball gets kicked to me and I mark the ball. And then I tuck it under my arm and I turn around to the coach and go, oh, what do you want me to do with this? Do you want me to kick it or do you want me to handball it? What's the coach going to say? Do something. Because you're going to get pinged for holding the ball. And what the coach wants us to know is just get moving. I'll control the flow of play. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a verse for that in a moment. I'll control the flow of play. You just do what I told you to do. 
and get moving. But I might kick it to the wrong person. You're probably bound to. Remember the bad decisions part? Remember the experience and the good decisions? You're probably going to kick it to the wrong person. You're probably going to make mistakes. There's an instance that I'd like to just cross-reference. You can write this down and read it for yourself later, but but for our New Testament buffs this morning, I love this passage. How many people know Paul's call from God was to preach the gospel? Paul was called to preach the gospel. Go and go and preach the gospel. He knew what the call was. He knew what he had to do. He knew he was called to be a missionary. So what does Paul do? He just gets moving. You want to know what? Paul got it wrong sometimes. Have a listen to this. Uh, chapter 16, verse 6, he says, And they, that is Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they, some very holy, faith-filled kind of guys, they went through the region of Phrygia. Uh, I figure it was pretty cold there. And... Thank you for the two of you that got that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, Mitchell, uh, by the way, gets jokes about half an hour later. He'll be laughing in the cafe later. Oh, yeah, I got that now. Uh, having, been, having been forbidden by the Holy... They go through Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's a really interesting sentence. They end up in Phrygia and they end up in Galatia because the Holy Spirit had forbidden them to preach the word in Asia. But it gets a little bit better. Have a listen to this. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Have a bit of a look at the map. The the journey that Paul, Timothy and Silas have now gone on is a journey of some 750 kilometres. And they didn't have V8 chariots in those days. Horsepower was normally two. But 750 kilometres of wandering around, and guess what? God says, just get moving. Paul, Timothy and Silas are moving. God says, I'll control the course of play. More about that next week. You can't miss next week. If I could sum next week up in one sentence, it would sound like this. Guidance is not something God gives. Guidance is something God does. Uh, if I was playing football and that was me, the coach would say, do something, kick the ball. What God would say is, you're confused because you're standing still. Stop weighing up your options and do what I've told you to do. Bless your brother. But let's keep reading on because it doesn't kind of finish there just yet for young Gideon. Go in this might of yours and, and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. This one's going to be really simple. Overcoming confusion number three, change where you look. Often we're looking for the answers on the inside. Often when God's call comes, often when we're trying to determine God's will, it's, it's, it's how can I make this happen on myself? Where, where are all the answers? What's the answer for young Gideon? Uh, stop looking at your ability. Begin to focus on my ability. I love what happens next, and I want to help you because there's many people sitting here today 
that are going, okay, so I've got decisions to make. How can I practically make good decisions? How, what biblical evidence is there? It's going to be really simple. But I love what happens here because what happens next is Gideon goes on and says, and the Lord said to me, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Verse 17. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. <laughs> In other words, what Gideon is saying is, if you've really called me, if, if this is your word, if this is your word to me and your call for me, then show me a sign or confirm your word. And God doesn't rebuke him for it. In fact, God confirms the word. I want to help you today. If you're sitting here today going, well, yeah, that's okay. How does that apply to me? I want to help you today. It's really practical advice that you can take away. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, God bless the ministry of Billy Graham. Billy Graham would call these the three lights. I've got four lights this morning that I would help you to try and understand. And what Billy Graham was saying is when you're coming into port, you have to line up uh, one of the entrances. It's kind of lining up the light so you know you're going on the right path. I want to help you this morning, if I can, to kind of line up some of these lights. What are the lights that we can weigh our decisions with. Number one, the word of God. Number one, does this line up with God's word? Let me kind of unpack some unnecessary, I I, I think I've got the liberty to do this. Uh, These are real events that happened. And this will highlight what I mean by does this line up with God's word in in Psalms 119, David says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What's David saying? I know where I'm going when I'm following your word. And back in a place far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, in a place called Tasmania, family A and family B, husband of family B leaves Christian families. Been, been in church many, many years. Let me try and help you what this looks like. Husband of family B decides I'm going to leave. Starts pursuing wife of family A. Wife of family A, through some challenges and times of change in their family, says, you know what? I wonder if you've heard this line before. God wants me to be happy. It's not in there, by the way. So wife from family A and... Husband from family B get married and under the guise and under the sentence of God told me it's my time to be happy. How many people know that they've just gone completely and utterly out of the will of God? You don't, how many of us don't even need to open our Bibles, right? We don't need to go any further. We don't need any more lights than that. Why? Because you are so far out of the word of God. That's a really far out example, but that happens today. I hear that today. And God just wants me to be happy. Need a verse for that. Second one is this. So, first one is Does this line up with the Word of God? Second one is this prayer. Pray about it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 tells us that if we commit the way to commit your way to the Lord, and He will establish your plans. Other translations say, Commit your way to the Lord, and He will make your paths. And so many of us run about consulting anything and everybody, and that's okay. It's okay to consult other people, by the way, and take advice from friends and family. That's all okay. That's part of it. Proverbs always says, also says that uh, good decisions are established by wise counsel. 
the first place we should go is to commit this to the Lord. We're, we're sitting in church and a, and a girl across the other side takes our fancy. We think, I wonder, I wonder whether, sh-, you know, what, begin to pray about it. Why? Because your emotions might get in the way. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that it's okay to be married. Oh, what should I do? Well, ask her if she wants to go out for a coffee. If she says yes to the second one, you could be in for a bit of luck. Number three, this is going to almost sound contradictory and an oxymoron, but I will clarify it. And the number three, so we have the first one is the Word of God. The second one is prayer. Pray about it and commit it to God. Third one is this, is our circumstances. And you're, everyone's going to say, well, hang on a second. Didn't you just say we shouldn't determine truth? By circumstances, yes, I did. But what I mean here is, do, do the circumstances support the truth? Let me give you an example. Uh, a little ragged prophet by the name of Jonah. God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Notice God said Nineveh, not Tarshish, everybody. I, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the word of God. So he says, I'm going to Tarshish. Gets on a boat. And what I love about... Uh, the, the book of Jonah is you'll read the Lord appointed many times. The Lord appointed a great wind and he's down having a snooze and everybody's up on the deck rolling dice. That's casting lots. That's how they used to determine things in the old days. But uh, they're all up there rolling dice trying to find out who's responsible for this. Jonah walks up on the deck and says, all of this is happening because it's supporting the truth. I've been called to go to Nineveh. Circumstances. Well, we'll row you back to where we got you from. And they can't. And Jonah says, you've got to throw me over the board. Circumstances. Sometimes support. Here's the last one. And this one is actually, I believe, really important, particularly in the New Testament. A Colossians 3.15 says, allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. And another translation would say, allow the peace of Christ to act as umpire in your heart. That's a really important verse because of the context that it comes in. The context that it comes in is to an enormously confused church. You see, the problem with the Colossians was that they had taken hold of the gospel. Paul didn't preach it to them. There's strong evidence Paul never went to Colossae. However, he writes the letter to Colossae because Epaphroditus goes to Paul and says, listen, these guys are believing everything. Uh, So we have to whittle out some voices. That's for next week. And the problem had become that these people had crept into the Colossian congregation and they kind of said, you need Jesus, but you need this special knowledge, this Gnosticism, where we get the Gnostic Gospels and all these other things. And there was an enormous amount of confusion in the church. And Paul writes to address the confusion and then he says, allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. It's hard to describe. It's, it's far removed from a bad piece of pizza the night before. But it's when, you know what, yeah, this is scriptural. Yes, I've prayed about it. I, I think my circumstances line up. But man, I'm unsettled on the inside. I'm not really, not really sure. I, I have an uneasiness on the inside. That's the umpire going, no, 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 something's not right here. Sometimes it's people that we come in contact with and there's an uneasiness on the inside because what they're telling us doesn't seem to line up with the truth. Overcoming confusion 
Number one is to cease determining truth through the lens of circumstances, but rather allow our circumstances to be viewed through the lens of truth. Overcoming confusion, number two, is just get moving. If God's called you and you've got God's word, just get moving. What does that look like? Uh, what does that look like? I'm going to give you an analogy in a moment, but, but what does that look like? Maybe, maybe boy meets girl. Maybe boy says, let's just get moving. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's, let's see. If she calls you back, men, particularly millennials, it could be a sign. Overcoming confusion, number three, change where you're looking. And I hope that we've grabbed hold of today four lights that will help you line up God's will. And of course, we know the end of the story with Gideon, and I'm not going to go away without leaving this. The end of the story, if we fast track for Gideon in verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if, wrong word, when God's given you his word and confirmed it, if is the wrong word to be using. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know. Here's the problem with laying out fleeces. Gideon at this point is not trying to determine God's will or find out information. He's already got it. Knowledge is not Gideon's problem. Faith is Gideon's problem. As I bring this to a close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song before we go home. I want to give you the story of a, of a completely unqualified young man that was in Tasmania some four and a half years ago. And uh, his pastor at that time came to him and said, hey, there's this awesome church up in Brisbane, best church in Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, and he said, they need a pastor. Would you consider going up there to pastor? And I've I got to tell you that if you had have said, Sean, first of all, if you said, Sean, do you want to pastor a church? I would have said, no. And if they had said, well, you called the pastor, pick a place in Australia where you'd like to pastor. Brisbane is the last place I'd put my finger. Brisbane, Brisbane and Darwin. Too hot. The fire of God burns too hot up here. Here's, here's what I said. And I hope this begins to help some people this morning. Here's what I said. I said, you know what? I said, let's get moving and see what happens. And uh, Russell's reporting for duty. Thank you, Russell. And, and I said, look, if, if we get moving and we're running into red lights, God will soon start to show us. And I said, if we're going to ever make it to Brisbane, I said, once they meet us, it'll be off, right? But it just so happened, I said to my then pastor, I said, look, we have to be there by January. I said, we have to. We have to have kids in school. We have to be settled. We have to be there by January. And I can tell you now, uh, for us to be there by January, it could only be God. So we got on the path and we prayed about it. It seemed to line up with God's word. And lo and behold, we have the wonderful opportunity of pastoring the best church in Brisbane. And, And we may be biased, but many people agree with me. But... You know what didn't happen? I didn't have an angel standing in my bedroom, apart from my wife. <laughs> Resurrected that one, Terry. <laughs> That's a comeback. <laughs> but you know what? 
I want to encourage you today because if you're going to sit around all of your life waiting for God to stand in your bedroom and appear before you like an angel, you could be waiting all of your life. And many of us wonder what should we be doing when God has said to all of us. We have a momentum that we can get on here and we all have decisions to make. But I believe that if we line up the four lights, are you on the worship team, Damon? <laughs> if we line up the four lights, then it may help us determine God's will. Let's pray before we go home. Father, you are awesome and you're glorious and I just thank you that we can trust you. In a world full of confusion, in a world full of very negative voices, help us to tune them out and find your voice. Help us, Lord, to always look for those lights and have enough wisdom, Lord God, to seek you in all things. Father, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your wonderful and glorious name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.